and welcome to the My Hormones, My Health podcast. My name's Laura and I have PMDD. Come with me as I navigate my way through the highs, the lows and the lowers of all things relating to hormones and health. I can't promise that I'll have all the answers, but at the heart of everything I do, I'll be aiming to spread a message of hope that a life with hormone or health issues can be compatible with a life of joy. Welcome to episode seven of the My Hormones, My Health podcast. I can't actually believe we're on episode seven. Thank you for listening and a special thanks if you've been listening right from the start. I should be a professional by now, but I don't mind telling you that I'm absolutely winging it. Over the last few episodes, we've had contributors coming on and talking about what works for them in managing their PMDD symptoms. And we've covered a range of different angles. We've explored surgery, therapy, medication. And today I wanted to explore PMDD management from another angle. I've shared before that I have a PMDD survival toolkit, which includes a little bit of everything, medication, therapy, and more holistic approaches such as journaling, gratitude, exercise. But I wanted to look into the holistic approach a little bit further. And so today I'm joined by Sarah, who doesn't take any medication for her PMDD symptoms, but has recently started seed cycling, amongst other things, to help her. She's also really passionate about being part of the PMDD conversation. So after seeing her on the BBC News, I knew I had to have her on the podcast. Sarah, I feel really excited to have you here with me because I feel like I've got PMDD royalty on with me today, as you were recently part of the BBC News story on PMDD. And that spread awareness to, (laughs) it spread awareness to hundreds and thousands of people. So you should be really proud of that. So congratulations. Um, And also, well, no pressure, but it also means you'll have no worries in talking to me today. So (laughs) it was great practice for for this episode of the podcast. Um, So if we go straight into um, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, what would you say having PMDD means for you how does it affect you um for me it's kind of like half of my month is taken up with my PMDD symptoms and then the other half I'm sort of all right so I kind of from from around ovulation um I get really bad pain I um (coughs) excuse me I um I get like really bad pain on the one side. So whichever side I'm ovulating from, I'll get like severe pain there. I get abdominal pains, lower back ache, like really bad lower back ache around ovulation. And I just feel like really rubbish. Um, and then I I have sort of like a few days around ovulation where I feel like that. And then I'll have a couple of days where I'm all right again. And I think, oh, that's all right. It's gone for this month. And then no, it comes back around day 18, 19, I get it sort of I've been tracking it now for quite a while and that seems to be my sort of pattern um so then like day 18 19 I kind of I can speak I can sense it sort of coming and then like it just goes downhill from there really um I am lucky that I've got a regular cycle so I can kind of know when sort of this going to happen and things so I can plan like my sort of month but I know you shouldn't have to do that but I feel like that's my one of my coping mechanisms really is to plan around the sort of days so yeah I kind of get um like really really extreme fatigue 
um, lower backache again then. So I'll have it at ovulation and then it goes and it comes back. And I get the abdominal pains again. Um, like my neck and shoulders, I get really bad tension in them. Um, and I sometimes get really bad headaches as well to the point where I get like visual disturbances. Um, but I haven't had those in lockdown. So I don't know whether that's a link with perhaps not having as much stress to deal with because I've been at home but um interesting isn't it yeah but I just I, I kind of that's sort of like the physical symptoms and then emotionally I'm just like anxious I'll I'll just be really snappy I haven't got any patience I'm really irritable um now before I had my PMDD diagnosis my husband used to call it emotional week <laughs> um <laughs> So that was a nice way of putting it, but I, I can see now why he used to sort of see that change in me because the lead, the week leading up to my period, I'm just like not very easy to live with. Um, and obviously I've got the two children as well. So the patient side of it, I find really hard with sort of not snapping at them because they're just being children. And I'm kind of like snapping for no reason, really, just because like I can't cope with sound either, sort of like the sound and like, I will or like lights and things like I get that it's like I can't cope with too much of that in my sort of bad week so if they're like banging the musical instruments and stuff like that I just can't kind of deal with it <laughs> so yeah that's kind of like the symptoms that I get um and then kind of by about day four of my period I'm back to myself again which is where I'm at now so and then it's like it's sort of like each time a light switch is just flicked and it's sort of gone again for that month. So it's kind of like, it's, it can be quite frustrating, but you, I try not to let it, I'm trying to learn to live with it rather than let it like frustrate me, if you see what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like um, when you're, say, as you are now, kind of day four, everything's pretty good, do you almost find it hard to kind of really remember how it feels in those bad weeks because I know for myself when I'm like in my good times I almost think I'm not that bad in my bad weeks but then when I'm in my bad weeks I think I'll never feel good ever again even though I know I will it's it's so strange because it's it's only last week but when I think about it I think oh no it doesn't it didn't feel that bad but when I'm in it I'm like oh my goodness this is horrific like I can't even the sort of the fatigue I have is I can't even get off the sofa so like my little girl's saying, come and play with me. And I'm like, uh-huh. I can't physically get up off the sofa. But yeah, like this week now, I'm fa- I'm all right. I'm like doing loads of stuff with them. And then like in the bad week, you feel so guilty for not being able to do as much with them. But I'm learning to kind of cut myself some slack and think during my bad days, I'm just not going to be able to do as much with them. Whereas before I was beating myself up a lot and sort of getting upset and sort of, I'm trying to learn to live and manage it so that it's all right for all of us so if that means me just sitting down and watching them and watching a film or whatever with them but if, as long as they can see that I'm happy I feel that they're happier yeah. that makes sense absolutely there's definitely um a theme isn't there of kind of that that guilt and self-loathing and um just that idea of feeling like you're kind of being a bit of a burden and I know, I know for me, I I tend to have these kind of angry and negative emotions, but 
I direct them inwardly rather than outwardly. So I don't necessarily lash out at people or anything like that. But what I do is I, I, I lash out at myself, if you like, inwardly. And it's it's really hard to get get your head around that, actually, and, yeah, and break out of know. that. <clears throat> Whereas I kind of, in the past, have done it outwardly. Right. So it's kind of like... Not in, not like physically, but just the shouting, and I get I would get really annoyed. But this was before I got diagnosed, so obviously I didn't really know what I was dealing with. So when you have those feelings and you don't know what it is, and you've got that feeling, and you don't even realise it's cyclical, it's just I've got a rage. Like I sort of had rages in front of like family members, which it does make you feel really embarrassed to think I was doing that in front of a family member, and I didn't really know what it was, but I. I think since I've been diagnosed, it gives you that kind of like power back that you, I know what it is, so I can deal with it better. Whereas for like 25 plus years, I didn't know what I was dealing with. And to go through that many sort of years being misdiagnosed with things when it wasn't that, I now think, well, at least I know what it is. And I'm I'm grateful now that I can plan, like I said, for those bad weeks and sometimes it's not weeks sometimes it's days so you know I think every month is different so it's just sort of planning and knowing that if I feel rubbish not to push myself too much yeah definitely and I I love that you mentioned the physical symptoms as well because I do think they're not talked about as much even though they are just as debilitated as the, the more emotional ones um and you mentioned the pain that you get around ovulation as well and I I've got that I get it every month but I've not always had it and I probably only had it maybe in the last maybe six to nine months and I didn't actually even though I had my PMDD diagnosis I didn't actually put it down to my menstrual cycle I thought I had an upset stomach or you know I'd eaten something that hadn't agreed with me and it was just (laughs) happening regularly um and then when I researched into it um, and I found there was there's a, there's a name for it. I, I don't know if you know this, Mich- but is it Michelle Smith? Michelle Smith or something Michel- like that? Yeah, <laughs> you Michel probably Smirch. say it better than me. <laughs> say it like again. <laughs> I think it's called Michelle Smith Smith with a Z at the end. Yeah, syndrome or something like that. I was diagnosed with that years ago, oh, really? but they never kind of well, not diagnosed. The doctor told me that's what it was, but they never kind of linked that to anything. So I think that's where it's you realise that there's not any kind of education around PMDD anywhere yeah it's it's on the NHS website so I was like oh that must mean it's a fairly you know standard condition um but the information about it on the NHS website is just like it's um, a common pain that that people kind kind of sometimes get ovulation and it can be caused by irritation of the egg leaving the fallopian, uh, the ovary and traveling down the fallopian tube. So I was like, oh my God, that's, that's crazy that that's a thing. Um, yeah. And then it was like, yeah, it's um, quite normal and usually no treatment is needed. And I just think this is something that will wake me up in the middle of the night and I can like, yeah, it's, so painful. it's yeah. so painful, but it's just a, oh, it's just one of those normal things apparently. Um, yeah, I can tell when I'm ovulating. So that's obviously... It was handy when I was trying to conceive, but <laughs> that was the only kind of benefit of it. But then it never helped because I was, it took me three and a half years to have my ch- first child. So 
you know, I I suppose it wasn't a clear sign that I was ovulating or anything, but it's just really irritating because it, I can feel it coming on. And then I know that like the next day is going to be like, I'm going to be in agony to the point where I can't even like lift like my children up and stuff. So yeah, there's not a lot of information out there on it. I don't think not (laughs) from like the GP point of view or anything. So yeah, they, they just sort of said I had it. They didn't do anything about it. It was just, you've got that. So yeah and you know what if this was anybody else talking I'd be saying you know if you've not already you should definitely speak to your doctor about it but I'll be honest I haven't because I just think I know what it is it's definitely that Mm -hmm. the NHS website says there's nothing to do about it maybe take painkillers so I'll just crack up but obviously I feel like now I need to say if anyone's listening and they do have a pain in the side well kind of to the side um obviously get that checked out but I haven't because I'm daft yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> so what would you say oh, then me. that's okay what was your light bulb moment when you first found out about PMDD um so I've got two children one who's four and the other is nearly two so obviously I've gone through two pregnancies um and each time um when both of the children actually were about nine months old I started feeling like awful um to the point where they diagnosed me with postnatal depression right but um so each time at about they were about nine months um so obviously I never really the first time around I just went with it it's postnatal depression you know I'd already always had this history of anxiety and so it was I think they were kind of just thinking well it's obviously linked to the fact that she's always had like mental health issues and things. Um, and it wasn't really looked into. It was just, you've got postnatal depression. But then the second time around, I was getting like suicidal thoughts. Um, but I was, I was having the post, okay. I had the postnatal depression diagnosis, but then after about three or four months of having the diagnosis, I didn't take medication because I was breastfeeding. Um, so I thought, actually, I'm not feeling that bad for like some of the month. So I was like, right, this is not right. Surely if I had postnatal depression, then I'm going to th- be feeling like awful all the time. Um, so I just looked online, basically, and started Googling my symptoms. Um, and I came across a um, blog about somebody who'd written about their PMDD experiences. And it was just literally like reading about myself and I just sat there crying because I was like this woman has just described everything that I'm going through um so I kind of was like looking into it a bit more I, was, I obviously researched PMDD a bit more then um but that was like the light bulb was like I read that blog and I was like that's me that's what she's describing so I went to my GP after a couple of months of like researching it thinking she's not going to believe me she's just going to think she, it's not it's definitely postnatal depression but she was luckily she's really supportive um and I mentioned PMDD and she didn't really even look into it she's just like yeah I, t- I agree with you actually I don't think you've got postnatal depression so um yeah so I could have been obviously treated for it but obviously the treatment would have been antidepressants anyway which would have been the same kind of treatment as they would have given me for PMDD but yeah she saw she said oh yeah I'm, I, I agree with you I think you probably have got that so 
yeah so that was my kind of like sort of light bulb it was about a year uh, just before last Christmas that was I got diagnosed so it's been sort of coming up a year now that I've known that I've had it so yeah so what is your approach to managing your PMDD symptoms then so I, I tried I'm trying to manage my symptoms holistically so and I know that's not everybody's cup of tea I, and I sort of I, I sort of really really don't sort of not agree with medication or anything like that it's just I would rather not take medication if I possibly can um and I think partly because when I was diagnosed with the postnatal depression I was breastfeeding so I didn't want to take antidepressants and I think that because that was my worst ever time I know I managed it okay then without medication if that makes sense so that was like my lowest point ever when I was having like suicidal thoughts I felt like I couldn't go on. I felt like everyone, everyone would be better off without me. And I I've, I went through that point without having a medication. So I know if I can get through that without it, I know I can do it. It's just sometimes hard because you're not sort of taking anything that is going to sort of help with how you feel. Um, so there's quite a lot of things that I have implemented since last year. Um, so it's not just like I do one thing and that's it I kind of try and implement things into my daily routine so and it's taken a long time because I've got the two children as well I haven't always got time for myself and I think that's where I what it did set me back initially because I wasn't making time for myself it was all I've got the children there that's important I wasn't putting myself as important at all which I which in hindsight made my symptoms worse because I wasn't putting myself up there at all I was sort of just down the bottom of the pile um but recently especially during lockdown I've had more time to focus on me and I've realized that if I'm not looking after myself the children will pick up on that and then I won't be sort of functioning at the best level for them so it's sort of like that cycle of we got to make sure that if I'm all right they'll be all right and then we're sort of going around so I take supplements every morning. Um, so I, the ones that I use are magnesium probiotic, which also contains B6. Um, and I also take iron, but that's not necessarily f- because of P- PMDD. I've got really low iron levels, so I have to take that anyway. But I do think it gives me energy, so it could be a crossover. I don't know, but I take that regardless. Um, and I'm also doing seed cycling. Right, okay. So, um, it's a quite a new thing that I've started doing. And I'm so I haven't really seen the sort of full benefits of it yet. But um, I don't know if you know much about it. Um, well, you're talking to somebody who has heard of it, but that's about it. So it's kind of like seed cycling for dummies now. Please tell me yeah. everything you know. <laughs> I, um basically you so for your first half of your cycle from day one to 14 you have a tablespoon of pumpkin and flax seeds every day Um, and that's meant to boost progesterone levels so I just put it in a smoothie because I don't have like healthy enough food I don't think (laughs) to put those (laughs) like people have salads and stuff I haven't got time to make a salad so I can't really just throw them in a salad so I just sort of 
I just sort of put them in my smoothie for breakfast. I know I've had them and that's like a good start to the day for me. Um, And then from day 14 then onwards until your period arrives, you have a tablespoon each of sunflower and sesame seeds. And that's meant to boost the estrogen levels, I think. I think I've got that the right way around. I might not, but it's one or the other. It's progesterone or estrogen either end of your cycle. So I have seen benefits but not to the point where I've noticed it massively yet because you're meant to give it I think at least three two or three cycles and I've only done one and a half so I haven't really got into that yet but I've noticed if I don't have the seeds and that's only been a couple of days I did notice a difference wow so I am going to stick with it because I can see that there's a benefit to it and you know what go on sorry do you know any of the like the science behind it? Like, because I, I mean, for me to hear that it it works after just like a month or two, I think that's actually like I don't know, incredible. I think that's you know, when I hear of people who take certain medications that don't take effect for months upon months, uh, now I'm thinking no, I should just I... be popping popping pumpkin seeds. I know. I spoke to a nutritionist about it because I was a bit like I don't know what to do. I I need some help. Um, now she recommended it. Obviously, she wasn't going to tell me she ha- that it was going to work or she just gave me some information about it. But I've looked into it online and I've quite found quite a lot of articles about it. And it's, it's, it's sort of the seeds. I think it's not, I, have, I don't know loads about it because I'm literally okay. only new to it myself. But it's something to do with them binding the, like the, the excess hormones so it balances your hormones more. So obviously for people with PMDD who are sensitive to the fluctuations, if there's excess hormones as well, I suppose you're even more sensitive. So then by sort of limiting the amount of the excess, you would then be less sensitive. I must, I think that's what it is. But it I makes obviously sense know what you're saying. It does actually yeah. make sense. Yeah, I've got loads of articles about it. That I've put on the PMDD groups and lots of people have been interested in them and there are a couple of us doing it together we joined up together to do it so it's not just me doing it there's a few few women that were interested that we're, we're kind of like keeping in touch and seeing how we're getting on yeah. and stuff so yeah it's I do think like you can't just do seed cycling and then eat McDonald's every day yeah you're gonna you have to kind of do it as part of like the holistic approach you can't just do that and think the seeds are going to help I don't have to do anything else on top of it yeah but I do think as a holistic like part of my holistic approach they are benefiting me so yeah it is interesting because I I always say I have like a toolkit for my my approach to PMDD is you know there is medication in there there is supplements in there there's journaling yoga you know there's a whole range of things and none of them are, are more important than the other but at the same time, I know that if one drops, it does have a ripple effect on the others. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think I can see why seed cycling could actually be beneficial. So maybe it's something yeah. to think about. It's quite out. It's quite out there. I've said it to some people that you know other sufferers, and they're like, "No, I'm not. <laughs> not I'm not interested in that." That's obviously that's their opinion. I'm not yeah. going to force it on people. But I, if I can see a benefit for myself, I just think. I will keep that up. And I think that's what, with the holistic approach, you've got so, like you said, with the toolkit, I think you've got so many things in there 
but if you did take that away then you might notice a massive difference yeah so you don't always feel like there's a massive benefit until you, you stop doing it and like those couple of days I have stopped or just didn't do it I didn't have time or just forgot one day mm-hmm. I thought then why am I feeling so rubbish and I was like I haven't done my seat <laughs> it might have just been a coincidence but I was like I, I do think it kind of it's sort of topping up perhaps the good that I'm doing and it's just topping up a bit more so yeah yeah so those are the supplements and all sort of those sort of things I do um do you do do you want me to go on to the next bit that I've got lots of other things I do as well if you think that there's somebody listening to this podcast who's only just learning about PMDD they haven't got a clue then hearing something like supplements seed cycling anything is going to be useful isn't it so absolutely so my the other thing I is my diet I try to eat as healthily as I can with two children having two children <laughs> to cook for I, I like I said I don't have time to kind of cook from scratch very much so it's kind of like eating as healthily as I can with the limitations that I have but I don't feel like my main meals are a problem it's the snacking in between I was having a major issue with because because I'm always tired a lot of the time, I I would like look for sugar just to give me that boost. But I know it's really bad for me to down afterwards. It just makes me feel rubbish. So I'm trying to limit sugar as much as I can. But I'm currently just sort of trialing putting other things in instead. So I'll have dark chocolate. I know that's not as bad for me, um, and it doesn't seem to be affecting my mood as much. So I'm trying just to eat that rather than, you know, milk chocolate, sweets, stuff like that. Um, I I've, I don't have caffeine. I don't have any caffeine at all, except for if I do have a bit of chocolate. Um, I cut that out years ago. I don't have like tea, coffee, Coke, anything like that. Um, I don't drink fizzy drinks. Um, so I literally will have chamomile tea, peppermint tea or water really to drink. So even though sometimes my meals aren't as good as they probably could be, you kind of got an avenue of not getting too obsessed with it, but sort of having that balance that you know works for you. Um, and I don't have, I don't drink alcohol either, because um, it used to have this horrific effect on me. So looking back, I can obviously see that I used, I sort of has a couple of times where I'd have major meltdowns after drinking but that was probably due in a hell week now I've looked and looked at it but at the time I didn't realize so yeah. when I drink it's just like I, I only have to have like a couple of glasses of wine or something and I would end up having this like massive hangover now obviously that could be worse whatever time of the month it would was at the time but it just wasn't worth it for me and I stopped drinking when I was pregnant obviously and it didn't bother me so I was just like then I breastfed and I didn't didn't drink during that and so kind of like for the last five years I haven't drunk anyway so I just don't drink and I do prefer it I think it's it makes me feel better not drinking oh that's like that's again preference thing and some people like a drink and it doesn't affect them but it just affects me massively if I do have alcohol so yeah what I like about your approach is you've definitely, I think you've got kind of like similar value to me in that you're willing to try things and you're invested in them, but you're not putting pressure on yourself. So if you want some chocolate, you're going to have some chocolate. Yeah. I think yeah. I, um, 
I think there's a lot of kind of rules with PMDD, like you need to absolutely cut this out and don't do that and do have this. And I think as soon as we get into those um, those cycles, it can end up being a bit more detrimental and we start beating ourselves up. And then especially during Hell Week, when you're yeah. desperate for chocolate. Oh my gosh, just <laughs> like, have some I'm chocolate. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just going to have a bit of dark chocolate and I just think I'm not going to beat myself up about that anymore. I'm, I'm not going to eat like loads of chocolate and loads of sweets because I would... If I open a bag of sweets, I would eat the whole bag. That's my problem. I wouldn't be able to, like some people can just have like three sweets. So I'm like, how, <laughs> how can you, how can you go in that bag of sweets and only have three sweets? I would literally devour the whole bag. Like if, as soon as it's open, I would eat it all. So I just don't try not to have it here. So yeah, the, obviously the kids have got their own stuff. And there was a point where I was eating their stuff as well. <laughs> but now I'm like, no, that's theirs. I can't eat their stuff. I have to eat just what I bought for me. So, yeah, I'm trying to sort of do that. And another massive thing for me, um, which I've only really learned during lockdown from doing a course on it, is self-care. Okay. I just wasn't thinking about me at all, really. Um, I did a 21-day challenge on self-care. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so it was like every it was a Facebook group, and every day they posted a challenge just for like what you would do for your self care that day, and I just found that really sort of helpful. So yeah, that that's kind of like where I'm at now. I'm trying to make sure I put in one thing every day, just this for me. So yeah, but I kind of just do things like even if it's just wash my hair or have a shower just to make sure I'm dressed or um like journal like you said earlier like I journal quite a lot now um or listen to music or I'm just trying to think what else I do like mindfulness I've tried to start doing that as well um so it's just something really that is just something that I do for myself yeah because I think that's quite important especially on a bad day I try and up the self-care then so that I'm doing more of that sort of thing just to try and make myself feel better so it's good isn't it because I think you know having a shower doesn't really sound like self-care but I think it's the intention behind it isn't it it's I'm going to have a shower because you know I deserve to have a good shower and feel clean and nice at the end of it whereas when you're in the throes of PMDD sometimes you don't even feel worthy of having a shower you don't feel worthy of washing your hair and looking after yourself so I think it's the intention behind these things that can be really helpful can't it yeah, I just make sure every morning I shower and get dressed. Like I used to sit there and I'd sit there till like 11, 12 o'clock in my dressing gown. But it just makes you feel rubbish, doesn't it? Yeah. Even though like it was the in my dressing gown, it just makes you think, like you said, you're not worth making the effort for really. Yeah, So definitely. yeah, I always do something now, just even if it's just like painting my nails or just watching like a Pokemon telly or something, just so I've got that time for me. And it is really helping. So. Yeah, that's sort of one of the other things I do. And also my like exercise as well. But I do struggle with that because I sometimes haven't got the time or I put myself off because I'm not that keen on it. <laughs> so <laughs> so I kind of like I've got a Pilates DVD that I've that's been really helpful during lockdown because I I'll put myself off going for a walk, even though I know it's really good for me. I'm just like, no, it's uh, it's raining or you know it's windy or <laughs> whatever I, it's just an awesome excuse for not taking the children out for a walk but I can just put that on and it's like a 20 minute 
DVD, but it always makes me feel better. So I'm trying to do that when I can really. I don't push pressure on myself to do that every day or anything, but it's just if I can, I'll do it. It's finding what works for you, isn't it? Cause like I love walking and if it's raining, I'll put my coat on because I won't melt and it's fine. Yeah. But I yeah. also enjoy yoga, but at the same time, I really have to be in the mood for yoga. So it's almost like you and I are polar opposites yeah. there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I actually quite like walking in the rain. I, I find it really refreshing. Whereas doing yoga, I think because it's in the house, it doesn't make me feel alive in the same yeah. way. It's definitely about finding what works for you, isn't it? And what works for you on any given day can be something totally different. I think the walk thing as well, it puts me off because I've got to take both children out with me. Yeah, fair enough. So it's just just getting both of them ready and like out of the house. I'm like, this is not, the thought of that is just not that enjoyable. (laughs) Doesn't sound quite as therapeutic then, does it? No, no. Well, thank you. Go on. Go on, sorry. And the the only other thing I was going to mention was I try and go to sleep by half 10 it's not it doesn't always work but I do try and make sure I've got I get plenty of rest because I find lack of sleep's a massive trigger for me um and also another massive trigger for me is having too much contact with toxic people um which I've realized during lockdown that's probably why it's helped me as well because I haven't had to have quite as much contact with the outside world so you don't come into contact then with as many toxic people as you would normally so yeah I'm trying to kind of limit my exposure to sort of places and that where I would see people that perhaps trigger me so yeah that's something that I'm working on but obviously I haven't worked on that that much because we've been in lockdown so yeah but I do realize that now which is I think is a massive thing to sort of just realize that that's a trigger for me I think that's a really brave thing as well because I think for a lot of us I think everyone probably has people in their lives that maybe are a little bit toxic for them but we we just put up with it um but actually to know to know and be able to identify that these people aren't helping me they're not good for me I think is a really good thing and you did say at the start of this um chat you did say that in lockdown you have felt better so it's very interesting that you you made that point yeah well thank you so much for sharing all of those ideas because I think it's really important that we cover all bases isn't it when it comes to treatment of PMDD and I know with other guests we've talked about surgery we've talked about medication therapy uh, and it is a real minefield when it comes to treatment of of PMDD I, I, I don't think that what what suits one will necessarily suit everybody so we do have to try these things out don't we and I think it's worth trying, you know, everything once, definitely. So that's brilliant. So why do you think then that PMDD is such a taboo subject? I th- I think that because it's a mental health condition pr- predominantly, I know you get the physical symptoms, yeah. but I think it's perceived as a mental health condition. I think there's just a taboo generally about mental health conditions and because you can't see the symptoms or you can't necessarily see what's going on I think people get a bit scared about it and they're like I don't know how we can help them and like when I was talking to the news reporter I said like if I had a broken leg people would be sort of flocking around my house saying oh can we make you food can we do this but you know when I've got my like extreme fatigue and I can't get off the sofa I could do with somebody saying can we come make you some food or can we bring you some food around 
but I just think people don't really know how to approach the subject either they don't know what to say to you that's like sort of not going to offend you but to sort of find out more and I think because there isn't much knowledge about it I think it's just sort of just not spoken about but then when you suffer from it you feel kind of like lonely don't you and isolated because you don't have anybody that kind of understands except for people who've got it okay so you've just said that people you know they don't really know what to say or you know what questions to ask what kind of questions would you like to be asked if you were you know kind of approached during that week or on that day of the month where it's you know a a dangerous time shall we say (laughs) what kind Um, of things would you want to hear or be asked I think it's just kind of like are you okay but then when I say that I think to myself I'm not okay and people know I'm gonna say probably I'm not okay but it's just sort of like how are you feeling like even just like what are you feeling so that your feelings are like validated sort of thing so that people will then sort of say well that must be awful just so that you've gotten that they, they acknowledge that you're feeling like that and they're kind of sort of trying to understand. Um, I, I, it's a really hard one, isn't it? Because sometimes when you're in your hell week, you don't want to be approached and you don't, <laughs> you don't want anyone saying anything to you. So I think kind of that maybe puts people off as well because they know how sometimes I can feel. It's kind of like, do we approach her or are we going to like have a rage at us if we don't? But obviously some people don't know that. So it's kind of like, just are you okay or how are you or how are you doing today really, isn't it? And then kind of like maybe understanding where you are in the cycle to sort of understand then in a week or so you might not be all right. So that it might be worth asking then, is there anything you need or is there anything I can do for you? I think it's about keeping it simple, isn't it? Because I think it's so easy to overthink it and think, should I ask this? Should I say this? If they're in PMD, if they've got PMDD, you know, what week are they on? What symptom have they got? And actually, if it, they just remember that you're just a person who needs some support, they're probably more likely to just ask a, a standard question like, how are you? Or like you say, what are you feeling today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then that's going to kind of alleviate the the, the tension that, that they feel and that, that you feel as well. Because you can just say to them, actually, I don't feel like talking today. No, it's like that. It's, I feel it's that elephant in the room where yeah. nobody wants to talk about it, but everyone wants to really. It's just they don't know how to approach it with you. And then it makes you feel really cut off because you don't have that just contact off people just asking if you're all right. So, yeah, it's just there is a massive taboo around it, isn't it? And then it just makes you feel quite isolated, I suppose. Yeah, and I think it, it's hard to talk about. I mean, I can talk about PMDD on a podcast I can do it and it's not a problem I can talk about everything I can talk about the the embarrassing things I feel I can talk about kind of the physical symptoms but if somebody were to ask me how I'm feeling I know that I would probably think twice about how honest I am and how vulnerable I allow myself to be in that situation I guess yeah I know I think it's I think it's as well if it's somebody that doesn't suffer with it I think when you're talking to somebody that's got it they totally understand how you would feel even though they don't necessarily get all the symptoms that you get or it's a little bit different 
like on all the PMDD groups on Facebook, you can put on there and you know somebody's going to come back with that same symptom as you. Whereas when you're talking to somebody that hasn't ever experienced it, I think it's really hard, isn't it, to explain how debilitating it can be. Yeah. And especially when it's compared to PMS all the time. And I know it's compa- it's called severe PMS, but it's some of the symptoms are totally like different, aren't they? And it's kind of getting away from that stigma as well that it's just PMT and people need to just get on with it because some people can't do that can they and you know you've got to just so at some points of the month people with PMDD just can't get on with it can they they've got they need kind of support yeah so absolutely so um I get asked all the time what works and what doesn't and you've you've given us kind of some really good starting points today of your holistic approach as I said earlier there might be people listening today who um are just finding out about PMDD or maybe they've they've tried the kind of medical model they've tried therapy and maybe they're just not getting what they want out of it what kind of advice would you give to anyone who's looking to manage their symptoms holistically just like you are um I think the main piece of advice would be not to rush it because if you implement too many things at one time you're never going to find out what works for you so like I said I'm coming up to nearly a year of finding out that I have PMDD so and I'm only literally just getting to a point where I'm at that level where I think I could be getting to a sort of good sort of toolbox then of symptoms as you said earlier Uh, not symptoms toolbox of things to manage the symptoms sorry um so I think if if you sort of went in feet first and just implemented all these like holistic things you'd never find out what works for you so like what I did was I just went through each one like systematically and just implemented it and if it felt right for me I kept it in there and if it didn't I didn't bother I didn't carry on doing it so all the things I mentioned to you earlier I've sort of just brought in one at a time and if they've had a positive effect I've kept them and if I have if they haven't then I sort of got rid of them but all of those things earlier have just sort of been a sort of process over the last 12 months really um so yeah it would just kind of be do it slowly and don't put too much pressure on yourself like you said because you when you first find out you've got it as well it can be a bit of a sort of like you said minefield trying to understand a what it is and even like working out your symptoms and stuff and tracking and stuff for the first few months can be quite challenging so yeah I would just say implement them slowly and then just do what works for you because I think what works for me as well wouldn't work for maybe yourself or the next person so it's just about finding what suits your body I think and sort of what works for you as an individual that's that's really great advice I love that thank you Um, and as we wrap up this episode and this chat Obviously, I mentioned earlier that um, you did the you were part of the BBC News article, which was I mean, it, it was big news, wasn't it, for the PMDD community? It was it was yeah. it was it was something to be so happy about that all that awareness was drawn on on such a huge media outlet. What would you say that you've learned about yourself from talking so openly about PMDD kind of on the news, on the podcast and, you know, in other areas? I think 
it's sort of opened my eyes a bit as to how much there just isn't known about it because I did that piece on the BBC News and it wasn't a massive amount of that that was said and I sort of it wasn't much from myself but the sort of the bit that they did on it was quite you know a lot and it gave quite a lot of information but I think there's still that like you said the stigma of nobody's really approached me since about it or anything not that I was expecting that but you kind of think people might ask questions and I think there is still that sort of like stigma around mental health isn't there and like I should or should I ask or perhaps people are a little bit scared to ask in case they upset me or um so yeah it opened my eyes a bit that you know we had that massive campaign on the massive on the, the, the national news and then obviously my bit was on the BBC Welsh news but it kind of I was in you know I was quite it still made me think even though I said on the news I just want people to ask me if I'm okay that was the that was my end sort of piece that I said on there um lots of people still don't and I don't think that's their fault or anything like that I just think it's people don't know how to approach it and I they don't want to sort of upset you so I think it's just I think GPs and like healthcare professionals need more knowledge about it I think so that it's not such a taboo subject and then maybe maybe that'll sort of filter down to sort of just the general public knowing a bit more about it um because I like I think as well because you because it's an a monthly event to expect support every four weeks is quite a big thing isn't it yeah. so you know I'm learning to rely on myself more not not because I'm being like pedantic or whatever I I want to be able to rely on myself because I think to ask somebody to support you like that every four weeks could be quite draining for them and I think it's quite a big ask especially when like lots of your friends have got children or they just haven't got the time because I haven't got much time having two children so I think it's kind of like knowing that you've got those core people there that could be there for you if you ask or if you say I'm having a bad day but more so relying on yourself because that's actually made my symptoms better because I'm relying on myself more so that came out of the news really that I shouldn't really expect help off others that I really want to try and start relying on myself because that gives me more self-worth as well and more sort of self-confidence in me and as a mother as well it it makes me sort of feel better as a mother so yeah absolutely love that thank you and and you know what you're absolutely right you are your your biggest and best advocate aren't you so you know you best um and I really hope that the people that you know do get to listen to this and maybe find out a little bit more about what goes on during these these harder weeks for us definitely yeah yeah The one thing I'm taking away from my chat with Sarah is that there are so many teeny tiny things that might help PMDD and also might not. Ultimately, the therapeutic, medicinal or holistic approach are not going to stop the extreme sensitivity to hormonal changes in the body that is PMDD. So it's about trying things to ease the burden, one bit at a time, being invested in what works for you but not putting pressure on yourself to make it fit if it doesn't. 
For more information about seed cycling, there's a great website called Embracing Nutrition, which can tell you a little bit more about the science behind it. And if you're interested in taking part in a self-care course, Sarah has recommended one by Samantha Francis and her website is Samantha Francis Positive Parenting. She's got a range of different self-care courses to choose from. And both Samantha Francis and Embracing Nutrition are on Instagram as well. September is Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Awareness Month. PCOS is a condition which affects around 1 in 10 women of reproductive age. And according to the UK charity Verity, it's the most common out of the female hormone conditions, impacting each individual differently. And so I've invited Rachel to come on to the next episode to talk about the reality of living with PCOS and what it means for her. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, leave a review and subscribe to hear future episodes. If you'd like to get in touch, you can follow My Hormones My Health on Instagram or email me at hormonesandhealth at outlook.com.